Ryan, buddy. What's up, dude? Good to see you. Good to see you, man. Excited for our episode today. Yeah. A little something different. Yeah, we got something a little different planned today. So, you know, um, I think a lot of us are feeling the the gravity Mm -hmm. (laughs) of, uh, you know, recent events. And, um, you know, you and I talked a couple days ago, just being like, man, what did we do with this show? We had we had something planned that was sort of fun and a little bit lighter. And then, you know, our Capitol building got invaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that brought yeah. up a whole wellspring of emotions and feelings and challenges and shadows and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about, we're like, what do we want to, you know, what do we want to devote this episode to? And mm-hmm. I think we both, both agreed, you know, let's, um, especially because of all of this sort of gravity that's out there, yeah. um, let's do something a little bit light and a little bit fun today. And I'm, I'm glad yeah. we made that choice, dude. Yeah, me too. I mean, like uh, we've done spent ep- many episodes where I feel like we've already said most of what we would say today if we were going to take the serious route and so why not mix it up a little bit yeah so let's let's talk about what we're going to be doing today so um today is going to be a really fun episode where basically what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the major stages of development the stages of growing up and what we're going to do is we're going to use a series of film clips in order to illustrate some of the most important qualities styles, um, leadership, et cetera, that's often associated with each of these stages. And, you know, so the hope here is that this is going to be useful for all sorts of people. So if you are someone who is brand new to Integral, you are just beginning to scratch the surface here. You're trying to get a better sense of some of these key ideas, one of which, one of the most important of which is stages of development. We're hoping that this video gives you sort of a really a very accessible on-ramp to some of these big ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the thing with these film clips is, you know, I I went through a bunch of movies and I, and I sort of chose specific clips again, that really, really meet the qualities of each of these stages. And the nice thing about that is most of us have seen all of these movies, right? These are like super common reference points that are out there. And I think that's a really, really wonderful way to actually teach, you know, integral theory is to use some of these, you know, commonly shared kind of reference points and build on that in order to illuminate some of the qualities mm-hmm. of these stages. So that's mm-hmm. gonna be fun. And I'm hoping it's it's useful to, yeah. to beginners. And then for people who've been here for a while, Ryan, I mean, I'm hoping that this actually helps deepen people's appreciation of art and of culture and entertainment yeah. and media, because I think that's one of the, the most powerful things that Integral does for us is it actually enhances our capacity for appreciation right? And mm-hmm. to actually see things that we wouldn't have otherwise seen. And yeah. sort of just by having a sense of where and how everything fits together, um, you know, it actually gives us a, a, a fuller experience of whatever piece of media it is that we happen to be looking at. So I'm hoping yeah. it does both of those things. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm really excited for this. And yeah, art is, I mean, uh, really important to both of us being part of our life in, in different ways. And um you know, some people may uh, uh, explore and learn all this stuff better through, you know, philosophical books like what Ken writes. And then some people, it's just a lot easier to experience it and, and understand it through art and music and different other uh, forms. And, um, you know, for me, art is all simultaneously a lot of times in the expression or reflection of where culture is at or where groups are at. And then also it's, it's where we work it out. It's where we do right. art itself is an evolutionary process of like, this is how we grow. This is how we clean up. This is how we do things is through the art. 
um, artists a lot of times will create their, their movie and music as the process to, to, that they're going through, not the result of it, you know? That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Great points. Well, so maybe we just kind of begin. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it'd be fun to get right into it. So, so um, just one quick comment. So sort of the frame that we're going to be using to present these clips comes from uh, integral theory. And basically what we're going to be doing is looking at a number of levels of development, eight levels of development in particular. And these levels of development um, are, are uh, categorized by color. So the idea is that there's this whole color spectrum that goes from crimson to magenta to red to amber to orange to green to teal to turquoise. And each of those colors represents another stage in the developmental uh, holarchy. So uh, hopefully through this presentation, um, you'll have a better sense of what these colors actually, actually mean. And we'll um, give definitions for each of these altitudes as we go. So hopefully that'll be helpful. And Corey, um, oh, yeah. one, one more quick comment then, or, or uh, in, maybe I'll prompt you for this, just to understand what, what's this developmental line specifically reflecting or tracking, you know? Um, I know we say like human development, but like, can we just tease that out a little bit? Yeah, so this is gonna be, um, you know, because these are film clips uh, and yeah. it's really, really difficult to kind of hone in on a particular uh -huh. line of development. So uh -huh. this is gonna be a mix of sort of cognitive values, aesthetics, uh -huh. um, views, views okay. is a big one. Um, gotcha. So it's gonna be a little bit of everything. So maybe as we watch each clip, we can even sort of comment on okay. which line we think is maybe getting activated. Great, sounds um, good. Yeah, okay, um, awesome. so we are going to begin in the basement in the very basement and, of human development. So we are gonna start with crimson and I've got a, uh, some descriptions here that I'll just read um, before we get into the clip. So crimson is also known as the archaic stage. The crimson altitude, which was previously called infrared, signifies a degree of development that is in many ways embedded in nature, body, and the gross realm, the physical realm in general. The crimson altitude exhibits an archaic worldview physiological needs, food, water, shelter, etc., a self-sense that is minimally differentiated from its environment and is nearly in all ways oriented towards physical survival. Although present in infants, crimson is rarely seen in adults except in cases of famine, natural disasters, or other catastrophic events. Crimson is also used as a kind of catch-all term for earlier evolutionary stages and drives. Okay. So we've got a clip for this the quest for fire. Thank you. 
That, that's such a great clip i love the look of awe on yeah it's really it was really well done i mean it's so it captures very much like that total absorption in the physical realm and also like highlights i mean one it's like i can't do that right now like i can't i can't start a fire like <laughs> like yeah. that so like there's massive amounts of like impressive skill that humans were able to like figure this we were able to figure this out and make a fire and of uh, and of course there's a reflection of like um you know the the emergence of the noosphere right that really hasn't happened yet um that will happen later and then also that when that emerges then we can lose things from previous developmental levels like i can't do that right now like even though i should have the capacity to do that but i don't i don't i can't do it right now that's right but we have access to the noosphere but it's totally great though to see the complete absorption and awe in, in the face yeah yeah, and I feel like in, in a way this clip is actually sort of it's not just crimson. This is actually sort of the the uh, the breaking point between crimson into magenta into magical thinking. I feel like this. I feel like that was the birth of magic. You can see the wonder. Yeah. And awe on well, face. when you look at the face and be like, "How is this even possible?" And so then that if that question is like, "How is it possible?" You start searching for for explanations of how you know. Right. And the first one is going to be some magical explanations. That's right. So that actually brings us to the next major altitude of consciousness, which is the magical stage, uh, which is also called magenta. Um, so magenta is egocentric in, in terms of its orientation. So the magenta altitude began about 50,000 years ago and tends to be the home of egocentric drives, a magical worldview and impulsiveness. It's expressed through magic, animism, kin spirits, and such. Young children primarily operate with a magenta worldview. Magenta in any line of development is fundamental or square one for any and all new tasks. Magenta emotions and cognition can be seen driving such cultural phenomena as superhero themed comic books or movies. And Corey, real quick, um, I have to admit, I, I continually, I'm like an old school integral where I use the way simpler color model. Yeah. And, and still i'm not quite adjusted to all the variants in there i guess i see we have red coming up and what's yep. the that because that's typically was the egocentric we just said red and that meant all egocentric things what's the little bit difference between magenta and red um because is red still an egocentric stage yeah they're this? both yeah, yeah. they're they're both egocentric yep. so they're yes. both um still sort of you know one of the ways that ken talks about the unfolding of these stages of development is uh -huh. also the unfolding of perspectives themselves Yep. So when we are at, at magenta, which in spiral dynamics was called purple, um, when we are ah, at magenta was, okay. in red stages, that's still gotcha. an egocentric stage. Like the yeah, only gotcha. perspective we can take is really our own. Okay. I just needed the old school terms. Okay. It's purple. Yep. Okay. So it's magical thinking. So I've got a couple clips here <laughs> okay, great. Uh, that Perfect. are demonstrative of, of this sort of magical thinking. Yep. Great. The first one being an absolute classic Fantasia.
that was another great selection. So a far, you've done really. Of, of, of magic. Yeah, you've been doing great. Like these selections are very pure in, in, in representation, you know, because you can see some movies like that could be really mixed, like Harry Potter, right? It's going to have like mixes of all kinds of levels in there. So it's a little harder to nail it down. But this one, that was just like pure, yeah. you know, magical. And like, it was really great in there is like when you see the shadow appear on the wall, it's presented in such a magical way. Like, look at the shadow appearing on the wall. What could it be? Ooh, you know, it's not just a shadow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and there's something about the animation style itself that yeah. was like suggestive of this of this magic. And particularly when this yeah. film came out, I mean, it felt like magic. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you were watching these things on a screen, which which is actually an interesting thing about this clip is because we're watching, you know, Mickey Mouse animating a broom yep. and particularly yeah. when this movie was made that yeah. would have felt like magic and yeah it, it reminds me of arthur c Clarke's, like you know any sufficiently developed technology is going to look like magic because now here we are in the 20th century or 21st century i'm, hmm. I'm behind <laughs> whatever we're century we're in century and we're able to make matter move and dance mm -hmm. you know we're in this whole realm of robotics and um yeah. you know so in a way it's sort of uh uh, a right. return to some of these magical impulses like human beings can now communicate you know almost yeah. psychically through these communication right. networks to someone else on the other side of the planet there's something about that that feels magic like the first time if you remember the first time you ever played with an iphone there yep. was something that felt magical about it yeah totally and uh this is also where you start having the discussions about pre-trans fallacies you know yep. in, in special spiritual communities but then also like the difference between ordinary and non uh non-ordinary experiences and cities and you know uh, special powers in, in buddhism what are, what's magic and what's actually like just outside of the realm of materialist uh scientific approach but yeah it's interesting all right let's we're seeing the unfolding here what do we yeah. have now so we've got another magenta clip. And actually before this play this one, I just want to yeah. I just want to tap on a, a point you just made about yeah. the fact that these clips are themselves, I mean, really great representations of sort of mm -hmm. again the qualities of these of these different stages. However, yeah. that's not saying that like this entire film itself yeah, is sure. red or amber or orange, because A, if it's a good movie, it's probably got a lot of different altitudes in there and a right. lot of different conflicts right. between the altitudes, et cetera. Right. So what we tried to do in selecting these clips is actually hone in on a particular scene that yeah. demonstrates this. It's, it's not enough to extrapolate that out into the rest of the film, because again, films are complex. And in fact, if a film was purely amber or purely orange or it'd probably be a fairly boring movie right it'd be more of like a documentary or something you that's know right. kind of probably something that's like right. that yeah actually i'd say that's why kids movies are so much better these days than compared when we were kids my opinion is because they can handle so many different levels at once appealing yeah. to adults um whereas like i would never want to watch the cartoons i a lot of them i wouldn't want to watch now i'd be like oh this is so boring but there's right. so many cartoons and movies i like watching with my stepdaughter that i'm like this is fun well, that's the thing. And, and and maybe that'll become apparent as we watch this presentation is that, you know, what cool. companies like Pixar do really, really well is they pack in multiple stages into yes. into right. their, their their films yeah. so that it can be appreciated on all these different levels, yeah, it's pretty impressive. all these different levels of development, which is fascinating. Pretty impressive. So this next clip, we are going to move again from one Fantasia to another in the never ending story. Tower. They were with him when he took the book. 
with the orange symbol on the cover, in which he's reading his own story right now. I can't believe it! They can't be talking about me! Why don't you do what you dream, Bastion? But I can't! I have to keep my feet on the ground! Call my name! Bastion! Please! Save us! Alright! I'll do it! I'll save you! I will do what I dream! Never-ending story. Um, and that's, I mean, that I love that clip because, I mean, A, that was a big movie for me when I was a kid. That was a really big movie for me. I was so, I was, I was here for it. Um, but that clip has everything. I mean, it, the uh, word magic, the power yeah. of a word and how words yeah. literally create realities, yeah. right? And then the wish fulfillment at the end, you know, I make a wish, yeah. he's riding on a dragon. And as you watch it, I mean, I'm 43 years old and I still feel this like swelling in my heart when he's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get you. It's great. It's really wonderful. And uh, I think probably I'm assuming what we'll see here in this transition is like, you know, egocentric, but there's like this idea that there's forces in the world that we're right. trying to work with, you know, but they're mysterious and whatever. And then you switch into more stronger egocentric. It's like, well, no, I am the force. That's right. <laughs> I, I'm the power. That's right. Uh, yep. All the, all the magic that was out there is now mine. It's yeah. all now found within me. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And, and red is a, is a very, very fascinating stage, um, yeah. which we'll get to right now. Yeah. So let me actually pull this up. So as we move from magenta to red, here's the description of red. Red is ego to ethnocentric. Um, the red altitude began about 10,000 years ago and is the marker of egocentric drives based on power, where might makes right, where aggression rules, and where there is a limited capacity to take the role of other. Red impulses are classically seen in grade school and early high school, where bullying, teasing, and the like are the norm. Red motivations can be culturally seen in ultimate fighting contests, which have no fixed rules. Fixed rules come into being at the next altitude, Amber. Teenage rebellion and the movies that cater to it. The Fast and the Furious being an example. Mm. Gang dynamics were the stronger rule the weaker and uh, similar. So that is sort of an overview of Red. And I've got a couple great clips for Red, man. Corey, I just realized we could um, potentially do something similar like this with video games. We'll have to talk totally more about it. Totally could. Totally could. Yeah. Mark it, mark it down, y'all. There, there's so many versions of this presentation. I have a version of this presentation that uses only Tom Cruise movies. This is awesome. I think we should do this. this is like we gotta we gotta give a name to this kind of particular series. Like it's a series within a series. But uh, I think we should do video games. We talked about music too, so teasers for people out there. Yep. Yep. We'll we'll, we'll definitely get to those. Um, so this next one is one of the most classic depictions of red. I think that's out there, and you guys should all recognize this. 
right away. Oh, Dajin, we've won again. This is good. But what is best in life? The open steppe, fleet hordes, falcons at your wrist, and the wind in your hair. Wrong! Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of your women. That is good. That is good. That is good. It doesn't get more red than that, man. I mean, as an example of the stage, it's like, come on. It's, yep. Yeah, it's textbook. It absolutely nails it. And then what's funny, so here's the funny thing. Yeah. So the Conan character was a great one to start with because he's the protagonist of a movie, right? And yet, so he's almost like an anti-hero. Like here's someone who's obviously red. He's obviously a brute, right? But we're rooting for him. When it comes to red in film, it's really, really hard to find good protagonists. Red is always the bad guy. It's yeah, that's why I was, I was about ready. To, I was about yeah. ready to say that, like you know, because we can always look at all these stages and say, well, it's really healthy, especially when we think about like uh, kids raising kids. It's like you want your kid to experience a healthy sense of yes, I can, I'm power, you know. And if that doesn't happen, that causes problems. So, um, but yeah, it's harder to find. We usually this is always just. If we're talking about pure forms, it's like always the bad person, the bad yep. guy. <laughs> yep. And this next clip, I think, bears that point, Ryan, because red can be an appropriate leadership style mm-hmm. for the circumstances. It just mm-hmm. depends on the circumstances, right? right? So I think this clip um, really nails that point. Yeah. Going to the green place of many mothers. How does it feel? It hurts. Out here, everything hurts. You want to get through this? Do as I say. Now pick up what you can and run. Such an amazing depiction of red, an appropriate red, like healthy red. It is literally a wasteland out here. If you want to survive, follow me. There's no, this is not a time for green circle jerking. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is <laughs> like, no, hierarchical power. Dominator hierarchies yeah. are going to allow us to Actually, survive. now that you, now you've mentioned it, I, yeah, searching for apocalyptic uh, movies um, that, or television series, that's where you'd see like Walking Dead or something mm-hmm. like that. You're going to see like situations where that are so bad that like there's not any room to do anything but have this kind of egocentric survival uh, impulse. That's right. Someone just asked what film that was. That was Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, absolutely amazing movie so now we've got one more depiction of red which is you know so if conan was more of a neutral red if furiosa here from fury road is more of like a positive red like a healthy red this is probably about as unhealthy a version of red as you can get and i'm 
guessing. Did you already say the the film name? Maybe we want to make sure we mention. Yeah, the I film. let them know it was Fury oh, Road. Okay, yeah. I know, but the but as we before we do the clips, or do you want to let them people know after? Oh, either way. Uh, so this next one I'm going to do. So, sometimes I like it to be a little surprise. Okay, yeah, I'll let you, you know? let you coordinate that. Um, but this one, this one coming up is uh, from Gangs of New York. You know how I stayed alive this long, all these years. Fear. The spectacle of fearsome acts. Somebody steals from me, I cut off his hands. He offends me. Cut out his tongue. He rises against me. I cut off his head, stick it on a pike. Raise it high up so all in the streets can see. That's what preserves the order of things. Fear. That's 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 a great great example too. It made me think. I don't know why. I just all of a sudden uh, thinking of the television series, you know, of uh, Breaking Bad and when. Walter White says, I am the one who knocks. <laughs> it was like one of those moments. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, what I loved about that, that particular depiction right there is he's literally draped in an American flag. Yeah. Right. But this yep. was not an amber clip. This was a pure red. Clip. Yeah. I operate through fear. Period. Yes. It keeps people yep. in line. I mean, talk right. about a dominator hierarchy. Uh -huh. And I think we saw hints of Bill the Butcher at the Capitol last week. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a good point of like, just because you're cloaked in, in symbols that were ever of a higher level of development does not mean that's actually where a person is coming from. That's right. That is right. So now we are going to make a shift. So after red comes amber. Uh, so we move from sort of the ego um, to a more mythic stage of development. So amber is ethnocentric. It's traditional. It's mythic. The amber altitude began about 5,000 years ago and indicates a worldview that is traditionalist and mythic in nature. And mythic worldviews are almost always held as absolute. This stage of development is often called absolutistic. Instead of might makes right, amber ethics are more oriented to the group, but one that extends only to my group. Grade school and high school kids usually exhibit amber motivations to fit in. Amber ethics help to control the impulsiveness and narcissism of red. Culturally, amber worldviews can be seen in fundamentalism, my God is right no matter what, extreme patriotism, my country is right no matter what, and ethnocentrism, my people are right no matter what. And real quick, Corey, um, since we've gone through a few levels now and this is starting to paint this like bigger picture of development, like when we look from Crimson, like dealing with impulses of the world, you're like pretty much at the mercy of the world magenta you know you start having some working relationship with the forces of the world but it's through the magical red is like no we don't have to just simply wait on other forces i can do something you know i don't have to simply set back and, and deal with the forces of the of nature and then amber seeing here is uh like well together we can do more not just individually that's right yeah, yeah. yeah i've heard i've heard ken sort of frame this as you know, we begin from a place of being just completely subject to the forces of yes, nature, completely right. subject to them. There's nothing we can do. Right. Yep, right. And then we pop into magenta where it's like, OK, well, I can cast a spell or I can do my yes. demonic ritual yeah, yeah. and I can move yeah. the clouds in the sky based yeah. on that. Yeah. And then we start to hit red and it's like, OK, well, you know, those can't do that. But my particular gods can yeah. like these power gods, Zeus, right, right. And, you know, things like that. And then we right. go to Amber and it act that actually gets further abstracted. Yeah, it's like, okay, right. well, our God has the power to, none of us individually can do that, yeah. but, but our God can. So if you pray to our yeah. God, so yeah. 
And they were really leaping up in terms of abstraction here, the cognitive abilities and yeah. Yep. And cool. the, and, and the rule slash role mindset where everything is dominated by rules and yep. everyone has a particular role to play within that rule set. And think about that, like a rule is something that persists and something that's abstract is something that persists through context. This is a really interesting shift. Yep, that's right. So this first clip I think is again, um, a perfect demonstration of Amber values. And it comes from the film, A Few Good Men. Oh, Harold, you see what I'm getting at? If Santiago didn't have anything on you, then why did you give him a cold red? Because he broke the chain of command, sir. He what? He went outside of his unit, sir. If he had a problem, he should have spoken to me, sir. Then a sergeant, then company commander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then... All right, all right. Did you assault Santiago with the intent of killing him? No, sir. What was your intent? To train him, sir. Train him to do what? Train him to think of his unit before himself. To respect the code. What's the code? Unit, core, God, country. I beg your pardon? Unit, core, God, country, sir. The government of the United States wants to charge you two with murder. And you want me to go to the prosecutor with unit core God country? That's our code, sir. It's your code. Yeah, that's, that's their a good, code. Good example. Yep. yep. And I'll yeah. be honest with you, you need a code. Amber is so super important. And well. so much of the developed progressive world that we live in is actually sitting on some pretty, you know, broken this is, amber foundations. Yeah. And if we're going to say something, anything at all serious, which we've already said about before, but around development is that like, for example, if we look at our, our parties and where we've gone astray with respect to this level of development, Republicans sacrificed amber values and structures for a red, uh, you know, red a running rampant. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then uh, progressives can forget because they, they see the problems with Amber. They can not, they can forget that this is needed. This is a foundation. All these developmental levels rest on each other. You can't have higher levels of development without some codes. That's right. You know? So it's like, I'd much rather have a nice traditional code in place than have to deal with the butcher totally exactly <laughs> exactly yep which because is those why, codes are like, supposed to prevent the butcher which is why these days in the recent months for me words that are more traditional sound good like decency yeah. you know it's just like ah i'll honor. take a little honor i'll take a little bit give me some helpings of that i'll take that 100 and that's <laughs> you know again another thing i'm trying to do with these clips is you know finding some clips that can point us towards you know, maybe some neutral expressions of these of these altitudes, some clips, maybe even some unhealthy expressions and others are tremendously healthy and positive because each of these stages of development is beautiful. They're gorgeous. The problems arise when they are sort of when there's no functional fit between yeah. the stage of development and sort of the complexity of the surrounding, you know, environment. And that goes both ways. You don't want to have, you know, sort of 
high altitude, high minded, you know, sort of, like I said earlier, green circle jerks, for example, when the conditions actually demand an earlier stage response. Yeah, right. And vice versa. The, the problem that Amber gets into is when it's put into positions of such high complexity that is literally yeah, over the Amber head. Yeah, That's not to say that it. Amber is itself broken or diminished or limited at all. It's just Amber is good at what Amber does. And yeah. what Amber does well tends to exist on a, on a more local level. Um, so again, like I was saying, each of these clips, each of these stages, we're trying to find clips that express, you know, sort of neutral qualities, positive qualities, negative qualities. This next clip, I think, is a wonderful, amazing, gorgeous celebration of Amber values. And I believe this is one of the most important and beautiful film clips ever, just in the history of cinema. So we are going to Casablanca. Tell you what, it's one of those funny things we were just, you know, just a little conversation we just had like last week, last Wednesday, I would have loved for some just classic Amber to be in place. Yes. It wasn't, it wasn't in place. Like even to the point where I'm like, not even like what I would like, you know, like normally like a big helping of Amber might be a little bit like, oh, please get away from me. I don't want that much Amber, but I'm just like, gosh, we don't even have that good old Amber. We don't even have that good old America Amber, you know, that was... Yeah, that normally would have. Well, look at that. I mean, look at that scene. You've got a literal Nazi rally. Yeah. Singing and and everything is the the entire the language of the scene is anthems, which I love and is such a pure amber expression of nationalism. So you have a literal Nazi rally taking place. And rather than going violent. Right. Mm -hmm. They surround the bad voices with louder, better voices. And it becomes this clash of civilizations. But guess what won? The Nazis didn't win that clash. Um, it's such a gorgeous, yeah. and, and especially yeah. when, you, when, you, yeah. um, when you know that the extras on the set were actual World War II refugees. So when they were singing, they were singing with full, like the tears you saw on their faces in, in the scene were real. That wasn't acting. Mm. Um, such an incredibly powerful, powerful clip. Yeah, and some we've lost touch with. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. And in fact, I want to point people towards um, 
I had a, a, a very similar presentation I did with Ken Wilber uh, in a piece called Growing Up, A Guided Tour. You can find that on Integral Life. And Ken, I use many mm. of the same clips. Uh, I've added a few new ones into this presentation. But if you want to hear Ken talk about each of these clips and each of these stages of development, please go check that out. He's got, um, you know, Ken is a film buff. He knows film inside mm. and out. And he's got a lot of just really, really interesting perspectives on some of these films that all of us have seen and you know have been immersed in for our whole lives and he's got a lot of really really cool things to say about Casablanca so I definitely encourage you guys to check out um that discussion yeah there's a really quick comment here in our zoom thing Sharona said imagine if Congress started singing God bless America which is really funny because I'll tell you what over in the past just something stupid funny about me is like I turned God bless America into my curse word. Like when something happens, I stub my toe, I'll say out loud, God bless America. Like, and I seriously mean it. That's like my funny curse word because I get, I got so tired of that thing. Like, you know, what was the movie was it where they said, God bless America and nobody else. I forget it was some comedy movie, <laughs> but even though it's my, literally my curse word uh, now, like that would have been amazing to see. I would have been like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like well, what a weird time it is that we're in, you know what yeah, I mean? This exactly. is like, this is an appreciation of developmental levels. You know, this is not saying like, I want to go back and live only in an amber world. No, but. Yeah, exactly. Well, and in contrast, how song, how anthems were being used in this scene versus yeah. what we saw at the Capitol last week when a police officer literally got beat with an American flag while the crowd sang Star Spangled Banner. Upside, upside down world. This is absolutely upside down. Yeah. So I've got one more clip for Amber. All right. And I think this shows uh, some of the, um, some of the more challenging dynamics that comes up with uh, Amber, particularly in the context of family relations. Uh, nice. So this is from a film called Fences. How come you ain't never liked me? Like you? Who the hell said I got to like you? What law is there say I got to like you? Wanna stand up in front of my face and ask a damn fool ass question like that? Talking about liking somebody. Come here, boy, when I talk to you. Straighten up, damn it. I asked you a question. What law is there say I got to like you? No. All right, then. Don't you eat every day? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you eat every day? Yeah. As long as you're in my house, you put a sir on the end of it when you talk to me. Yes, sir. You eat every day. Yes, sir. Got a roof over your head. Yes, sir. Got clothes on your back. Yes, sir. Why you think that is? Because of you. <laughs> Hell, I know it's because of me, but why do you think that is? Because you like me. Powerful. Mm -hmm. Very powerful. All right, so now we're going to turn the corner once again. We are going to evolve in real time, people. Yep. We are now stepping from Amber to the next stage of development, which is the orange stage. Uh, yeah. Orange is world centric and rational. So the orange altitude began about 500 years ago during the period known as the European enlightenment. And in orange worldview, the individual begins to move away from the Amber conformity that reifies the views of one's religion, nation, or tribe. The orange worldview often begins to emerge in late high school, college, or adulthood. Culturally, the orange worldview realizes that truth is not delivered, it is discovered, spurring the great advances of science and formal yeah. rationality. Orange ethics begin to embrace all people. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Ayn Rand's objectivism, 
the U.S. Bill of Rights and many of the laws written to protect individual freedom all flow from an orange worldview. Mm -hmm. So now we're saying, like, for example, facts are facts, regardless of context. That's right. And uh, uh, regardless of group membership and things like this. That's right. And this is that part where I also see, like, we're talking about all these different issues we, we see in our society. Yeah, which, see, we, we found a way to touch on a few serious things without getting too serious. But um, like I've, I've like recent years, want to just send the whole country back to eighth grade science, yeah. like across the board, just we're all going to go back and deal with Bunsen burners for a little bit. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. And like learn the basics of critical thinking yep. again. And we can see there'll be limitations to this That's developmental right. level as well, but it serves a purpose. That's right. <laughs> so this first clip is another one of those clips that I think really just kind of nails this. Cool. Um, and this one is from uh, one of my favorite movies. One of the movies that whenever it's on, I will rewatch it, right? There's very few movies where that's true for. I will just yeah, yeah. watch it anytime it's on. This is from The Martian. It's time to start thinking long-term. The next NASA mission is Ares 4, and it's supposed to land at Schiaparelli Crater, 3,200 kilometers away. 3,200. 100 kilometers. In four years, when the next Ares crew arrives, I'll have to be there, which means I have to get to the crater. Okay, so here's the rub. I've got one working rover designed to go a max distance of 35 kilometers before the battery has to be recharged at the hab. That's problem A. Problem B is this journey is gonna take me roughly 50 days to complete so i gotta i gotta live for 50 days inside a rover with marginal life support the size of a small van so in the face of overwhelming odds i'm left with only one option i'm gonna have to science the shit out of this classic, <laughs> uh, classic. what i love about that clip ryan is it's not just the engineering and the math and the precision and you know all of that it's the heart what I love about that clip is it expresses the orange heart, right? I'm going to yeah. science the shit out yeah. of this. I mean, there's yeah, still perfect. this like self-reliance and individualism and all of that. But, you know, what yeah. I love about The Martian is I love The Martian for the same reason I love Star Trek. It's competence porn. Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah. totally. This, this is the story of super, super competent people yeah, who exactly. are just solving problems one step at a time. Right. Right. Yep. And there's yep. something about sort of this, this, that the heart of, uh -huh. of, of orange and the heart of, of modernity that is so yeah. admirable and, you know, yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. That's a great call. That was a good movie. I really enjoyed that one. Yep. I could probably do another one of these. Like I said, I, I have a whole version of this and just Tom Cruise clips. I could probably do a Matt Damon version. That's hilarious. That's great. And speaking of Star Trek. Yeah. I have brought a new life into this world and it is my duty, not Starfleet's to guide her through these difficult steps to maturity, to support her as she learns, to prepare her to be a contributing member of society. No one can relieve me from that obligation, and I cannot ignore it. I am her father. Then I regret that I must order you to transport Lull aboard my ship. 
delay that order, Mr. Data. I beg your pardon. I will take this to Starfleet myself. I am Starfleet, Captain. Proceed, Commander. Hold your ground, Mr. Data. Captain, you are jeopardizing your command and your career. There are times, sir, when men of good conscience cannot blindly follow orders. You acknowledge their sentience, but you ignore their personal liberties and freedom. Order a man to hand this child over to the state. Not while I'm his captain. Yeah, Picard. <laughs> yeah. A role model for our time. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, and um, notice the difference of what freedom means, for example, at this orange level versus a red level. <laughs> That's right. And how much, obviously, that just gets laughably confused in our society, yeah. but no, no need to unpack that. But yeah, very different. Well, you actually, I mean, actually, we can unpack it just a little bit, you know, sure. because we've got the, the three stages, for example, of, of, of morality, where, yeah. you know, you, you can basically sort of look at it as pre-conventional, which is red and under, mm -hmm. conventional, which is largely amber, and then post-conventional. And mm -hmm. for example, if someone is asked the question, is it right to steal medicine for yeah. your, you know, sick spouse, for example, red is always going to say yes, right? Because mm -hmm. fuck you, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Amber is always going to say no, because that is ethically wrong. It's never right to steal, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. then orange is going to have a more complicated algorithm, a more mm -hmm. complex moral algorithm that says, well, you know, the, the, the benefits certainly outweigh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the consequences here. And, um, you know, I think that we see that in Picard right there. Yeah, you know, totally. Where, where he's yep. challenging sort of the authority, the amber authority of um of Starfleet. Yeah, that was that was a good good dialogue to capture this one. Are you uh, still doing the network there? I saw you on your list. Yeah, this is the next clip. Okay. And this is one of those slightly longer clips, but um, just kind of savor this one. This is one of my one of my favorite scenes. So this is from the film Network. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it! Is that clear? You think you merely stopped a business deal? That is not the case. The Arabs have taken billions of dollars out of this country, and now they must put it back! It is ebb and flow, tidal gravity. It is ecological balance. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. Petrodollars, electrodollars, multi-dollars, Reichmarks, rims, rubles, pounds, and shekels. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. That is the natural order of things today. That is the atomic 
and subatomic and galactic structure of things today. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale? <laughs> I love that clip so much. And like, it's such pure orange ideology that uses amber language and a little yeah. bit of green language. And it's so totalizing and just amazing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's really obvious there where you can see like, yeah, like a cognitive level of, of um, orange there. And then you can look at like, uh, where, where's morality at? Uh, maybe not caught up to the same cognitive level yep. you can start seeing the the um shadow stuff coming online of disembodiment you know yep. and just uh, losing the touch with the with the nature you know the yep. body and things uh-huh so again that was the movie network uh someone just asked what film that was that was network if you haven't seen network please 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 watch it it is such an incredible movie and one of those movies that just like ripens on the vine you know, just as relevant today as it was, it was in, I think, 1978 or something when it came out. Um, amazing, absolutely amazing movie. And I think it actually shows, Ryan, you know, the, the point you just made, it actually reminds me, when I'm thinking of film clips with Orange, mm -hmm. one of the clips that pops into everyone's mind yeah. is the famous Gordon Gecko, Greed is Good. Yeah. It's often used as shorthand for uh -huh. this. But right. I think that even that shows how complex this really is because- sure. Is that orange or is that red? Part of an orange right? system, but like a yeah, red. That's yeah. right. And in fact, the movie Wall Street was made by Oliver Stone. So the movie mm. itself was a green critique of orange because it has this red under. Yeah, I was thinking that was the other way of looking at things is like from what perspective is a movie or a television series made, which can be very different in terms of what content, the characters and things like that. But here, I think you've done a great job of like picking out clips to explicitly demonstrate like here's a character people who are really expressing these values yep. or this yeah so it's time for us to turn another corner all right we're going green baby all right all right so um green this is obviously one of the most critical altitudes when it comes to our current sort of political constellation um so green is world-centric and pluralistic the green altitude began roughly 150 years ago, though it came into its fullest expression during the 1960s. Green worldviews are marked by pluralism or the ability to see that there are multiple ways of seeing reality. If orange sees universal truths, all men are created equal, green sees multiple universal truths, different universals for different <laughs> cultures. Green ethics continue and radically broaden the movement to embrace all people. A green statement might read, we hold these truths to be self-evident that people are created equal regardless of race, gender, or class. Green ethics have given birth to the civil rights movements, the feminist movement, and the gay rights movement, as well as environmentalism. The green worldview's multiple perspectives give it room for greater compassion, idealism, and involvement in its healthy form. Such qualities are seen by organizations such as the Sierra Club, Amnesty International, the Union of Concerned Scientists, and Doctors Without Borders. 
In its unhealthy form, green worldviews can lead to extreme relativism, where all beliefs are seen as relative and equally true, which can in turn lead to the nihilism, narcissism, irony, and meaninglessness exhibited by many of today's intellectuals, academics, and trendsetters, not to mention another lost generation of students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, because like in, you know, um, orange, and you know, science is a big deal, right? And so these are kind of like exterior, external facts that are out there that are pretty stable. Um, but then you looking in other domains, I mean, even though we usually look at that and find out how not stable they are at certain levels, but um, like in culturally interiors, you know, things aren't as stable. And so you see a lot more cultural context and things like that, that require letting go of assuming that things just exist universally. That's right. <laughs> And right. that, when it comes it. to green, obviously healthy green is something that we need in this world more now mm-hmm. than ever before. The problem mm-hmm. is much that passes for green mm-hmm. is actually only sort of green on the surface, but yeah. has that really amber underbelly, yeah. right? And I think yeah. that's how we oftentimes characterize wokeism, for example. Mm-hmm. You're taking these green, beautiful, inclusive sounding green platitudes, but mm-hmm. you're enacting them in an absolutist and oftentimes way. fanatical kind of way. Yeah. Yep. True. So the other thing that I should mention is that each of these stages arises. Usually when they arise, they arise sort of in reaction to the excesses of the previous stage. Yeah. Right. This next clip, I think, um, sort of exemplifies that. And I'm not going to say what it is because you're going to recognize it as soon as you see it. (laughs) Yeah. See the lack of humility before nature that's being displayed here um, staggers me. Well, thank you, Dr. Malcolm, but I think things are a little bit different than you and I had feared. Yeah, I know. They're a lot worse. Now, wait a second. Now, we haven't even seen the part where you feel... Don't let him talk. There's no reason. No, no, I want to hear every viewpoint. I really do. Yeah, yeah. don't you see the danger, uh, John, inherent uh, in what you're doing here? Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a, a kid that's found his dad's gun. It's hardly appropriate to start hurling generalizations. If I may. Um... I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're that you're using here. Uh, it didn't require any discipline to attain it. You know, you read what others had done, and you and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it? Well. I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Condors. Condors are on the verge of extinction. And if oh. I was to could not know, if I was to create a flock of condors on this island, you wouldn't have anything to say. No, hold on. This isn't this isn't some species that was obliterated by deforestation or or the building of a dam. Dinosaurs. Uh, uh, had their shot, and nature selected them for extinction. I simply don't understand this Luddite attitude, especially from a scientist. I mean, how can we stand in the light of discovery and, and not act? Oh, what's so great about discovery? It's a violent, penetrative act that scars what explores what you call discovery. I call the rape of the natural world. What you call <laughs> discovery, what you call orange science, I call... Mm. The rape of the natural world. Yeah. yeah. Such yep. a great and classic depiction of green. Yeah, totally. 
Nice. Yeah. Um, and then I've got another one. I've got two more clips for green. I oh, got two more one. clips. Yep. Two more clips. Oh, I, 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 I added a secret clip, Ryan. Oh, secret clip. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this next one is uh, from Patch Adams. Classic Robin Williams. God, I miss that guy. Yeah. I miss that guy. When did the term doctor get treated with such reverence as, oh, right this way, Dr. Smith, or excuse me, Dr. Scholes, what wonderful foot pads, or pardon me, Dr. Patterson, but your flatulence has no odor. At what point in history did a doctor become more than a trusted and learned friend who visited and treated the ill? Now you ask me if I've been practicing medicine. Well, if this means opening your door to those in need, those in pain, caring for them, listening to them, applying a cold cloth until a fever breaks, if this is practicing medicine, if this is treating a patient, then I am guilty as charged, sir. Did you consider the ramifications of your actions? What if one of your patients had died? What's wrong with death, sir? What are we so mortally afraid of? Why can't we treat death with a certain amount of humanity and dignity and decency and, God forbid, maybe even humor? Death is not the enemy, gentlemen. If we're going to fight a disease, let's fight one of the most terrible diseases of all, indifference. Now, I've sat in your schools and heard people lecture on transference and professional distance. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact on another. Why don't we want that in a patient-doctor relationship? That's why I've listened to your teachings, and I believe they're wrong. A doctor's mission should be not just to prevent death, but also to improve the quality of life. That's why you treat a disease. You win, you lose. You treat a person, I guarantee you, you'll win, no matter what the outcome. Nice. So if the Jurassic Park clip was a nice expression of sort of the green mind, I think this yeah. is a wonderful depiction of the green heart. Yeah, it's nice too that both these clips uh, occurring in the con in the context of uh, science, medicine, you know, help to show highlight these differences a little bit more. That's right. And you'll notice with each of these stages post green, there is an increasing holism that comes online. Now mm -hmm. with green, that holism is still a bit, you know, it's, it's still a little bit flat. It's sort of like a, a holism that's in polarity with kind of the reductionism or the atomism of orange. Yeah. But right. as we continue to move through these stages, that holism actually becomes more holistic more holographic in a certain mm -hmm. kind of sense and actually begins to include more of even the atomistic views. Mm -hmm. um, but so for this third clip, again, the first clip I think shows the, 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 the character of the green mind. Uh, Patch Adams shows the character of the green heart. This one actually shows what green passion can do in the sort of uh, massive social changes mm -hmm. um, that can unfold uh, from the green altitude. So this is a clip from Milk. Last week I got a phone call from Altoona, Pennsylvania. And the voice was very young. And the person said, thanks. You've got to elect gay people so that the young child and the thousands upon thousands just like him We'll have hope for a better life. Hope for a better tomorrow.
I ask this, that if there be an assassination, I would want five, ten, a hundred, a thousand to rise. If a bullet should enter my brain, let it destroy every closet door. I ask for the movement to continue because it's not about personal gain, and it's not about ego, and it's not about power. It's about the us's out there. And not just the gays, but the blacks, and the Asians, and the seniors, and the disabled, the us's. Without hope, the us's give up. And I know you can't live on hope alone, but without hope, life is not worth living. So you, and you, and you, you gotta give them hope. You gotta give them hope. That's wonderful. I'm glad you added that clip in there. Yeah, that's well, really it, 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 I think it's it just shows the again yeah. the staggering beauty of green, the inclusiveness, mm. the mm. empathy, the compassion, yes. and linking that empathy and compassion up to our political processes. Yes, you know. And here was a healthy representation or a healthy a healthy depiction of why representation is so mm. important, which mm -hmm. is obviously a really really important concern. Mm -hmm. to green it's a concern yeah. that we can you know then talk about how wokeism has sort of co-opted and and distorted in certain kind of ways but i think it's important for us to remind people that this begins with a seed of goodness right yeah absolutely and it's 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 uncompromisingly good mm -hmm. right absolutely it's a it's a realization of those uni the universal values that are seen you know especially cognitively like oh you have all these things that we have in our constitution but it's like the realization of that you know yep. through society mm -hmm. beautiful so now my friend we mm -hmm. are going to take a a momentous leap we are now going to move from this first set of values views etc um that is often called first tier and now we're going to actually take this leap into second tier values and one of the main things that differentiates the, these first six major stages of development from the next two that we're going to talk about is that if you are at one of these first six stages of development, you most likely believe that your stage of development, your views and your values that come from that stage are the only legitimate views and values for the world. Mm -hmm. In other words, the entire first tier is engaged in a constant millennia long <laughs> Mm -hmm. food fight for domination mm -hmm. and it's only when we move from green to teal that we begin to actually see sort of how all of these developmental layers have unfolded throughout history and not only that remain active today mm -hmm. and how much we need healthy expressions with each of these it's from the teal altitude that we begin to notice how the gaps between these stages are growing they're increasing in size 
which mm -hmm. actually makes sort of a smooth transition from stage to stage to stage that much more difficult for mm -hmm. all of us in mass. Mm -hmm. And that tends to keep us kind of isolated um, in our, in our, you know, individual echo chambers, wherever those might be. So this next, uh, this next stage is again, it's called teal. We're moving from green to teal. Teal is integral and it marks the transition from world centric values to what we might call cosmocentric values. The teal altitude marks the beginning of an integral worldview where pluralism and relativism are transcended and included into a more systematic whole. The transition from green to teal is also known as the transition from first tier values to second tier values. The most immediate difference being the fact that each first tier value thinks that it's the only truly correct value, while second tier values recognize the importance of all preceding stages of development. Thus, the teal worldview honors the insights of the green worldview, but places it into a larger context that allows for the healthy hierarchies and healthy value distinctions. Perhaps most importantly, a teal worldview begins to see the process of development itself, acknowledging that each one of the previous stages, magenta through green, has an important role to play in the human experience. Teal consciousness sees that each of the previous stages reveals an important truth and pulls them all together and integrates them without trying to change them or to be more like me and without resorting to extreme cultural relativism, all are equal. Teal worldviews do more than just see all points of view. That's a green mm. worldview. It can see and honor them, but also critically evaluate them. So if green, you know, in integral language, we often use uh, the words non-exclusion and enfoldment. Mm -hmm. Non-exclusion means getting all the perspectives onto the table, right? Mm -hmm. Green mm -hmm. is really good at that part. What it mm -hmm. tends not to be so good at is that next part of enfolding and actually saying, okay, how can we bring more discernment to all these views and values we put on the table. Now we have to start saying these ones are better than those ones. Mm -hmm. How do we start having that kind of conversation? If everything fits together, that's easy to say, but actually figuring out how it all fits together yeah. is a completely different problem. And it's something that really only comes online at Teal. Yeah. And then involvement's important. And then also just like an easy note to differentiate sometimes in this, these days, there's a lot of critiques happening, you know, about green from different you know, communities like integral, modern, modern, things like that. And one thing I always look out for is, is a, does a person carry forward the values and in, in importance of green in their critiques? Do they bring it forward and say, I own this from green and it's important and here are my critiques or do they only critique it and there's none of the indication of bringing green forward, in which case it's, it's very likely that it's actually an orange critique that's masquerading as a teal. You that's know. that's a really really important point yeah and it's, it has its own pre-trans right yeah there's, a, there's that, like a mini pre-trans right there <laughs> yep, yep some criticisms of green are coming from pre-green and and what yeah. we're looking for are post-green criticisms yeah. that can actually because again each of these stages arises as a as a as a response to the prior stage so yeah. ideally each new stage is creating a set of guardrails for the stage that came before yeah. it Right. Yep. And that's hopefully what Teal is going to begin to do increasingly with green over the next decade or two. So I want to warn people about this next clip. Which one, which one are you doing? I assume, I assume if it's the warning, I know which one it is. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna, if you have children in the room, yeah, <laughs> you might want to either hit mute or push them out of the room. Um, you know, cause another thing that comes online uh, with Teal, I think in my experience, is this incredible sense of humor where things are both sacred and profane at the exact same time. Yeah. So I'm going to play a clip 
that I think offers one of the best shorthand summaries of the stages of development that we just uh, talked about. Okay. And again, just uh, just a fair warning. There's uh, there's some language here. It's graphic. Graphic. Here we go. For the truth is that Team America fights for the billion dollar corporations. They are just as bad as the enemies they fight. Oh no, we aren't. We're dicks. We're reckless, arrogant, stupid dicks. And the Film Actors Guild are pussies. And Kim Jong-il is an asshole. Pussies don't like dicks, because pussies get fucked by dicks. But dicks also fuck assholes. Assholes who just want to shit on everything. Pussies may think they can deal with assholes their way, but the only thing that can fuck an asshole is a dick with some balls. The problem with dicks is that sometimes they fuck too much or fuck when it isn't appropriate. Yes, Gary, yes. And it takes a pussy to show them that. But sometimes pussies get so full of shit that they become assholes themselves. Because pussies are only an inch and a half away from assholes. I don't know much in this crazy, crazy world. But I do know that if you don't let us fuck this asshole, we are gonna have our dicks and our pussies all covered in shit. That is so crass and so freaking right oh, on. Yeah. It's crazy. So red uh, and amber are the assholes. Yeah. Yeah. Orange are the dicks and green yeah. are the pussies. Yeah. This is funny. Like, we'll see how many, how many subscribers we lost <laughs> that last clip. But it like the really that that um I mean it is a representation of trying to acknowledge like some uh some differences there that correspond to some uh Developmental levels done in a really ridiculous way that um, obviously, and see, that's the interesting thing because it's like in that comic, like, you know, there's going to be like a some outcry of sensitivity towards some of the terms used from green. I was like, okay, I understand that, you know, and uh, but it makes a point. And like these days, it's like we can look at that. It's like we got some assholes running around, you know, right. and you know, like the thing about like last week, it's like I want to see some people in cuffs and heading to prison. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I'm not interested in having a, a conversation about it. You know, there's, right. there's these kind of things. So, uh, so oh, that movie was Team America, by the way. Yeah, Team yep. America. Team America, World World um, Yeah, and, <laughs> yes, and again, Gary. you know, it begins with Alec Baldwin's character giving the green, you know, this yeah. orange guy is no different than the red amber assholes, right? right so it, it's right. beginning with the premise of like what green does. Green mm. flattens everything. Yeah, and said, you know, and and views everything as sort of anathema to its own, to its right. own ideology, right. Right. and this is actually creating, uh, uh, you know, this was again, it was it was a it was a it was a funny, um, crass, uh, but completely spot on depiction of the growth hierarchy here. Yeah, I thought you were going to show the other the other scene where that that model is first given. 
Because uh, I, I, I thought this would be the the better the better. Yeah, choice. yeah. I forgot there was a second one because I would just remember that one where he gives it and he vomits everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that was sort of the funny version, but I've got another version of these dynamics, um, and I'm returning to the well of one of my favorite franchises ever, Star Trek. Um, so this clip actually comes from the new show, Star Trek Discovery, um, which I am a big fan of, and I know that can be a fairly controversial statement, but um, I really enjoy the show. And I think that this clip actually um, shows us very similar dynamics, maybe with some better language, <laughs> uh, just about how to deal <laughs> with multiple levels of complexity and people who represent different altitudes and how it all fits together. Um, I really enjoy this this short clip right here. I'm dropping a set of warp in 10 minutes, sir. Pull up defense schematics, please. Admiral, you wanna tell us what kind of shitstorm we're flying into? Okay, welcome to section 31 headquarters. Zoom in, please. As you can see, it is heavily fortified on all sides. Are those mines? They are. The Federation does not permit the use of mines. No, no, they do not. The Federation didn't build them. I'd call that a distinction without a difference. We were under attack by Klingon warships with cloaking abilities. Sometimes in war, the terrible choice is the only choice. Giving up our values in the name of security is to lose the battle in advance. I'm curious. Do you sideline the Enterprise because you knew I'd never stop reminding you of that? You sat out the war. Because if we'd lost to the Klingons, we wanted the best of Starfleet to survive. And as this conversation makes clear, that was you and all you represent. Thank you. You're welcome. Now will you get off my ass so we can get back to work? I saw that as masterful teal level leadership putting someone in their place while also lifting them up uh -huh, demonstrating okay. capacity yeah. to make difficult ethical decisions that might at first blush appear to be you know sort of pre-conventional but it's actually sure, serving right. a post-conventional goal mm -hmm. um i love that scene that's a very good i was gonna have you unpack that a little bit because i'm not familiar with the show um although i've, I've heard about it i wondered if, if it was a good one to watch but I think that's really good example now that you mentioned about like being able to see someone where they're at and to find a way to let them thrive where they're at. But there's also, you know, ways to put limitations. And I think, you know, when going through all the developmental level, I always like to go back to how we raise children where that be, the whole process is way easier for us to think about. We say like, well, of course, a two-year-old's going to be, you know, totally self-absorbed and want their way sometimes, but that's where they're at. And we try to like put guardrails on it so they don't hurt themselves and others. And we try to help them, you know, reach the next level of development, so on and so forth, you know? So, right. but it's a little different at, at when we're dealing with adults, you know, that's it gets right. a lot more confusing. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that clip. And I also wanted to plug one of my favorite shows, Star Trek Okay, well, awesome. Well, I wondered about that one because I that one had like a good reading, maybe ratings from the critics, but not from the audience. Yeah, well, uh, like every other fan base on the planet right now. Yeah, they're yeah they're cranky. Polarized. Yeah, okay. And Star Trek has a history of that. I mean, when yeah. Next Generation came out, it was polarized. And like, who's this bald French guy? He's not my captain. Well, I wonder, interesting, Corey, you'll know more. Um, but I wonder if some people may prefer a Star Trek that was very much more orange. And if they're, mm -hmm. if they're steersome that, as Star Trek probably is getting updated, you know. I mean, yeah. 
Well, it's funny, right? Because classic Star Trek was orange. It was all very orange exploration. Next generation was pure green. Uh, pure green i mean like we, we added a ship counselor to, <laughs> to the yeah. bridge and it was a, a green you know it's about uh, diplomacy and all that i am seeing and this is probably you know i've got some friends who are going to disagree with me here i see some strong integral themes in star trek discovery sometimes they're handled handed kind of ham-fistedly uh-huh. but this first this th- we're in the third season where we just finished up the third season in the i think it was the first episode of the third season the main character michael burnham yells out so this is integral consciousness <laughs> that made me lean in a little bit wow. and then the last two episodes of the season are just like straight up shadow work uh, being done on the screen so yeah. i think that there's you know I, they might be kind of lifting uh, yeah and i'm kind of wondering if, uh, if influences here. more and more like integral or teal and then you know kind of higher developments are going to be more like implied in the show and watching it versus like straight sent you know in the center i don't know maybe yep okay nice yeah so i've got one more clip that i want to play for teal another bonus clip and um this is probably the most explicitly integral movie scene i've ever seen uh it's the only <laughs> The only time I can think of where Ken Wilber was actually mentioned in a, in a major movie. So um, that's pretty cool. This was a scene that was actually written by uh, Lana Wachowski, uh, interestingly enough, when she did a rewrite for the film. This is from The Invasion uh, with Nicole Kidman. And here they're kind of talking about uh, the dignities and disasters of civilization itself, which is sort of a, um, a favorite topic of conversation for people at the Teal Altitude. So check it out. I say that uh, civilization is an illusion, a game of pretend. What is real is the fact that we are still animals, driven by primal instincts. As a psychiatrist, you must know this to be true. To be honest, Ambassador, when someone starts talking to me about the truth, what I hear is what they're telling me about themselves more than what they're saying about the world. Quite right. Well done, Doctor. Well, perhaps you're right. Perhaps being a Russian in this country is a kind of pathology. So what do you think? Can you help me? Can you give me a pill to make me see the world the way you Americans see the world? Can a pill help me understand Iraq or Darfur or even New Orleans? Don't be drawn in by his madness, Doctor. He is Russian. He needs to argue like he needs to breathe. All I am saying is that civilization crumbles whenever we need it most. In the right situation, we are all capable of the most terrible crimes. To imagine a world where this was not so, where every crisis did not result in uh, new atrocities, where every newspaper is not full of war and violence. Well, this is to imagine a world where human beings cease to be human. While I'll give you that we still retain some basic animal instincts, you have to admit we're not the same animal we were a few thousand years ago. True. Read Piaget, Kohlberg, or Maslow, Graves, Wilbur, and you'll see that we're still evolving. Our consciousness is changing. 500 years ago, a postmodern feminist didn't exist, yet one sits right beside you today. And while that fact may not undo all of the terrible things that have been done in this world, at least it gives me reason to believe that one day things may be different. Thank you, Doctor. You're welcome, Ambassador. Excellent. So now we're going to uh, talk about the final stage of development. The final stage of development that we're going to be talking about today, because it doesn't make too much sense to talk about stages beyond this, because honestly, there's not a whole lot of people hanging out there. And I'm not sure we really know what the features and the yeah, landmarks of those, of those the, higher the Humility stages. here, humility yeah. of like, we don't really know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. So here we're moving from teal to turquoise. 
And turquoise is, you know, you can think of it as a more mature integral. Um, so turquoise is a, uh, is, is a view that sees not only healthy hierarchy, but also the various quadrants of human knowledge, expression, and inquiry. At the minimum, I, we, and it. While teal worldviews tend to be more secular, turquoise is the first to begin to integrate spirit as a living force in the world, manifested through any or all of the three faces of God. I, the no-self or witness of Buddhism, we slash thou, the great other of Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Islam, etc., or it, the, the web of life that's seen in Taoism, pantheism, etc. So we can see again how, you know, this move from teal to turquoise, I often think of teal as like this calibration stage where it's like, this is the stage where I can get sort of a sense of the strata of my own development. I can get a sense of where my different lines are. I can create a psychograph for myself. I can start doing some, some personal work and it's, it's still very kind of individual based, right? Because these things tend to oscillate from, you know, red is very individual based, swings in amber, which is more communal based, back to orange individualism. To green mm -hmm. collectivism, yep. teal is another individual <clears throat> centered yeah. altitude, and then mm -hmm. that opens up into turquoise. Yeah, and I, and I would still put out here too. I feel like his turquoise is still really nascent. You know, like I think there's inklings of it, but to be honest, I'm not sure there's many of us who really fully fathom that. And like I'm going to say that, like for me, it's like mm, like hints of this, but like. Um, kind of also referencing Robert Keegan's developmental levels. You know, if like teal might be kind of seeing through self-authorship kind of thing, being able to see this unfolding. There's some leaning here. My intuition about this is about leaning in to a transcendence, but a transcendence of the lived experience of like being being part of systems, you know, like, uh, but not in the this green kind of way that the word might be used, but like a self-transforming complex system that is composed of hierarchies and um, and also nodes and all these things that like we become more and more identified with that, which points to what you're saying on more, not an individual, but a more collective, but a totally different way. And I finally, this was one point where with Ken, where I wasn't quite sure about like when he attacks on spiritual, spiritual experiences or, or stages to these levels, because they also can be seen as states that are accessible to all of us at any time. But it makes sense because as we continue the higher development, we're seeing through more and more the nebulosity of, of reality, which requires just some the depth of, of, of spiritual awakening in order to be able to see it. They, they start to becoming emerging, you know, that's right. Yeah. yeah, the states, as the states continue to get stabilized, they <clears throat> yep. begin to saturate the actual structure of consciousness that we find in turquoise. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, is, is how yeah. I hear Ken describing it. I hope to find out for myself one day. <laughs> yeah, the descriptions of what we experience in the states start becoming something that is also very similar to what's experienced in structures, you know, That's right. it seems like, yeah. Cool. That's right. Yep. All right. And we'll let's out. just say that, you know, at the construct, there's a stage of development that in Suzanne Cook-Reuter's work, she calls the construct aware stage of development, which is actually, I believe if I remember correctly, one stage above turquoise, it might have some overlap with turquoise, mm. but that seems to require some degree of meta awareness. So there's yeah. an awareness oh, of awareness that comes yes. online at these yes. stages. And that is itself a stabilized state. You can only have an awareness of awareness if you have a stabilized witness consciousness. Yeah, right. Makes sense. Yep. yep. So I've got cool. three clips that I think. Oh, um, there's another bonus clip. Yeah, there's another bonus that clip. I don't know about. I think you'll. I think you'll like number three too. Cool. Um, 
let me just say that the, in, when it comes to film, the turquoise space seems to be dominated uh, by the Wachowskis and Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. They just come up with the best examples. So this first clip is the clip that I know Ken Wilber himself would want me to use. Um, so this comes from the third Matrix movie, a radically misunderstood movie that I think is simultaneously absolutely brilliant and just bursting at the seams with just too much. Um, mm. But I but I tell you, the Matrix trilogy always holds a very, very special place in my heart. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable, Trent. Light everywhere. Like the whole thing was built of light. I wish you could see what I see. So when you hear Ken talk about the matrix and he's talked about this with um, Lana Wachowski, hmm. um, Ken makes very clear the integral interpretation of the film. And what blows me away about this is just, again, the types of stories and storytelling you can do from this altitude. So hmm. when it comes to the matrix, you know, there's three main worlds that exist in the matrix and each kind of like star Wars, the story is being told um, through color. So the really real world of Zion is usually presented with a blue lens, a blue filter. Mm -hmm. The matrix, the matrix itself is a green filter. Mm -hmm. And then the machines is this gold filter. Mm -hmm. And each of those represents gross body, the physical world, right? Mm -hmm. Subtle body, the mental world, mm -hmm. and then the causal body, the mm -hmm. spiritual world. Mm -hmm. The way Ken tells a story and Lana has agreed with <laughs> is that the story the matrix is the story of the dissociation and reintegration of those three realms mm. um so in this mm. clip you see neo he's he's in the gross physical realm and he's blinded right mm. he he has no sight and yet he tells trinity if only you could see them like i do they're all made of light mm. so mm. he is seeing causal reality mm. um this is this is i think what makes the wachowskis mm. Uh, so freaking brilliant and just way ahead of their time. Yeah, man, that's great. I love them. I love the Matrix. I'm curious to see what this uh, the fourth one's going to be. Yeah, 
Yeah, I know. I can't wait for that reboot. I seriously, did you know that if it wasn't for COVID, apparently there was supposed to be a day where like three Keanu Reeves movies came out in the same day? Um, I, I, I'll never, I'll never get tired of Keanu Reeves movies. So. Oh, wait, man. That dude is wholesome as hell. Yeah. He's great. So we're mm. now going to move to another um, Wachowski movie. Okay. Which for me is, uh, God, man, this, this film. I don't, I, don't e- I, I don't even have the word, like it's been years and I still don't have the words to, to describe this film other than mm. saying, man, this film. Uh, here's Cloud Atlas. Reports said Commander Chang was killed in the assault. That is correct. Would you say that you loved him? Yes, I do. Do you mean you are still in love with him? I mean that I will always be. Our lives are not our own. From womb to tomb, we are bound to others. Past and present. And by each crime and every kindness, we both our future. In your revelation, you spoke of the consequences of an individual's life rippling throughout eternity. Does this mean that you believe in an afterlife? In a heaven or a hell? I believe death is on your door. When it closes, another opens. If I care to imagine heaven, I would imagine a door opening. And behind it, I was finding there, waiting for me. He's great. Yeah. When again, it shows, it shows, Brian, I think that each of these stages becomes more holistic. Mm-hmm. So here is like, it's not just a holistic depiction of the relationship between, you know, eternal love mm-hmm. versus the finality mm-hmm. of death, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, she's talking about karmic repercussions that move forward long after we're gone. And then in the very next scene, it actually sort of transmutes that and pushes it back through history. So mm. this was almost like a reincarnation in reverse. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? The payoff mm-hmm. happened previously mm-hmm. in time and it just, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's mind boggling. And you get this mm. interpenetration of the micro and the macro. Mm. All of these qualities are, um, I, I believe, just inherent qualities to turquoise consciousness 
itself where you're able to sit with these contradictions and paradoxes mm-hmm. in a way that don't make you want to blow your brain out. They fit together. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, totally. I'd be interested to see, especially as, you know, like we said earlier, I think the resolution, uh, the pixels, you know, of, of this developmental stage and how it manifests and lived experience will become greater and greater with time. And I think there's gonna be a lot of interesting things because right now, it, what we have in terms of movies leans towards like the spiritual depth that comes with it but not as much as like, you know, what does this mean about an economist, you know, working, you know, in, in the, our society right now to come from a turquoise level? Um, it's like, hmm, I don't know what that what that right. looks like intangible. So I think what's going to be really interesting is like, you know, Teal is coming on more and more in line as being directly applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're seeing like the need for it. And then this turquoise is starting to poke its head through. So I'm very, very curious to see more. Yeah. Yeah, same. And what I love about Turquoise too is how it redeems and deepens so many of the themes of green, for example. Yeah. And many of the themes of, of amber. I mean, because that's- Yeah, in a more profound way. Yeah, in a more profound way. And I think you're right on there. I think something with the uh, paradox and, um, you know, I like the word oscillation, things like fluidity that seem to be- different it's not even i don't know it's interesting to say like oh is teal do teal do a bad job at that we're also figuring out what are the limitations of teal and i and i like that that ken for the first time really i that i'm aware of was in religion of tomorrow he had a section on like shadows of 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 integral yep you know because that's also we're discovering that like well really what are the shadows because you can't really discover them until like there's enough room and space for it to exist and make impacts so um but I suspect there's something around that, like that that's furthered with turquoise is the, the ability to work with paradox in real time, you yeah. know, in a more fluid way. And to give you oh. the flexibility of perspective. Flexibility, yeah. You know, it's huge. Yeah. All right. So, well, you have a bonus clip. I've got a bonus clip. So if you remember towards the beginning of this conversation, I was talking about how no movie can be fully any of these altitudes. Yeah. I think I was wrong for this last movie. Oh. I think this last movie <laughs> was pretty solidly turquoise from like <laughs> the opening mm. credits until, you know, the I very last. I wonder if I've seen it or not. Uh, so this is from a film called The Fountain. Oh yeah, I did see that one. That one was a crazy movie. Yeah, it was. Aronofsky movies are always the best movies that you never want to see again yeah they're always so powerful and it's like i'm so i feel i feel like a better human being for having watched that and i never need to see it again um the fountain is is it's, it's a challenging watch i think um yeah but good lord is this a beautiful movie. it's been a while since i've seen it you know
I, I, I like that. It brings me to tears, honestly. The, the film brings me to tears. It's a beautiful movie. Um, first time I watched it, I had such a powerful um, hit from this movie because it, it felt to me like uh, Aronofsky had taken Grace and Grit and did a film version of it mm. before this film version that's about yeah, to yeah, come yeah. out. Um, yeah. So much of it lines up with Ken's story. It's, it's not, mm. I mean, it's absolutely not. Even the mm. storytelling itself Mm-hmm. Um, you know the way Ken tells the story in Grace and Grit, where you keep getting these glimmers from the future and and sort of what's going to happen is is interspersed throughout the book. Yeah. And, um, Hugh Jackman looks like Ken Wilber in this movie yeah, entirely, you know? especially, especially the the bald version of him. Yeah, and it, and it just it really it it landed in such a deep way. And you know, again, the themes of this movie um, very similar to the themes that we start seeing <clears throat> at this altitude: the relationship mm-hmm. between love and death and mm-hmm. impermanence and eternity um the how yeah. the again how the microcosm and the macrocosm interpenetrate um the this is this becomes i think some of the the palette that's available to us when it comes to telling stories at these altitudes yeah these are great ones i remember loving that movie when i saw it and yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm going to be very interesting to see more and more movies being created at this level because, uh, again, we, it would be very interesting to see how the storytelling about all kinds of stories, and these are very much uh, kind of a spiritual crack-you-open uh, versions of these, which they're my favorites. I mean, these are yeah. good good classics. Um, That's why I wanted to and, end uh, on that clip. Yeah, and I'm also really curious, too, the thought occurred to me that um, I wouldn't be surprised if just how we're able to tell stories will be transformed and that will trans it's a correlation. You know what I mean? Like we're telling stories through mediums that affect how we can tell them, you know, and uh, who knows how, what options we'll have available to us to tell story. I mean, we have virtual reality stuff coming online. And so that might be part of it too, is not, is just not, not how stories are told through two dimensional realm, but like maybe the three dimensional non-linear, you know, things like that, that we, only seen approximated really imagine a virtual reality work of fiction where you can actually sort of teleport into yep. different perspectives as the story unfolds <clears throat> yeah that'd be really interesting I, that yeah i could see that you know yep fascinating yep. and i i think um you know again i think all of this is just demonstrative of how integral enhances my experience of the things that i love right mm. i love film. I love television. I love media. I love music. I love mm. uh, uh, consuming art. I love making art. I love all of this. And I think so much of, of, you know, integral when we first started moving, it reminds me of when I was, when I was in my DJ days and I was mm. starting to really hit integral and I had the, in my head, I was like, well, I'm going to only play integral music. Yeah. Right? Right. <laughs> and I often joke, well, I bought the three albums, most of which were Saul Williams that exist out there. And I said, okay, I need some more music to play here. And then I made a transition from playing integral music to playing music integrally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And that opened up this whole new territory where I started to see how these things can kind of piece together and you can create, right. you know, state experiences using um, you know, all these different, you know, lyrics that represent different structures and you can tell a story just by mixing these things together in a particular way. And it opened up the depth of my mm-hmm. appreciation and enjoyment of these mm-hmm. cultural artifacts. Yeah. 
Nice. And that's the power of integral. Let you see more. Yeah. It's so fun to do this. Uh, you did a great job picking up these clips, Corey. Fantastic. It's Thanks, really man. awesome. Yeah. I love these clips. Yeah. So good. So good. This is fun. I think we should definitely um, do some more uh, media and art stuff um, this year. Like I know we talked about it, but I think it's such a fun way to explore and um, you know, it's not really, not really happening too much out here. So I think this will be, and you and I are so such big lovers of art that I think it'd be really fun to do. So I think, you know, doing some music stuff. Um, I know we talk about video games. I'm like, that would be fun. I think we should um, record an episode in uh, Twitch while we're playing Destiny or something. That's actually a good idea. Totally. I really want to do one for comedy. That's someone on my list of uh, looking at that. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. We got a little question here before... I'll have to wrap up here in a minute, but we can yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and I, I know we're we're kind of pushing over uh, time right now, but Greg says, "Hey guys, great show. I have a question, please. Uh, is there a method or model to work out which levels are operating, and most importantly, which altitude is required in a given situation?" Thanks. Um, you know, Greg, I think the problem is that uh, it's a great question. It's a really great question, and I wish that there was like a mathematical formula <laughs> that we could use. Be like, you're, you know, so much of that of this, I think, is is largely intuitive. And the more we acquaint ourselves with, um, you know, the various rungs in the ladder that still remain in our system, right? We no longer have, for example, a red view or an amber view or an orange view because, you know, um, most likely we have transcended those views and now see reality from our current place in the ladder. However, the rungs in the ladder are still there, right? There are amber qualities that still resonate with us. There are orange qualities, there are red qualities that still resonate with us and continue to be very, very important and very, very contextually appropriate in certain circumstances. Like for example, last week's story with the Capitol building, I felt so much red and so much amber. And I had to remind myself, don't bypass this. Don't rush through this because you feel like you need mm -hmm. to pop out at teal or turquoise or whatever. Like these are appropriate reactions to sort of the conditions that we're in, right? Now, the problem with shadow is that when you get stuck at any of these, of these uh, and you can't work through it and um, you know, you find yourself just kind of returning to that well again and again, and maybe you find yourself picking fights on the internet because you've got some unresolved, you know, challenges going on there. Um, but I think a lot of this is, is simply by making ourselves more familiar with these spaces that continue to exist within us, the more easy it begins to sort of recognize them out there. And then yeah. to, you know, to um, find skillful and strategic ways to, uh, to interface with them. As yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, just having the awareness more and more, uh, an embodied awareness of these developmental levels within ourselves and others, and then a compassionate view that generally wants to help people where they're at. To me, that's like the most of it, you know, because again, if we talk about children, you know, we're, you know, what, what that combination works out fairly well. It's like we meet kids where they're at and try to give them whatever is developmentally appropriate, you know, uh, support in terms of direct activities and but also the environment and um yeah but we got to figure out how to do that as adults but we have that first requires acknowledging development which in our society at large isn't is totally missing like in the conversations of all the problems we're having it's not really there except for smaller groups like you know communities like this we're, we're talking about it right. but um 
and you know more and more people are creating like assessments and things like that i think but just in general like what, what what's needed here to, to support a healthy version of that developmental level you yep. know yep and you know my other my other piece of advice Ryan, to just attack on to all that yeah. is to you know especially for integral as because a lot of us are here because we want to increasingly grow into these teal and turquoise spaces and my, my piece of advice is always don't view this as a destination. Don't view this as a place that you're trying to get to. Relate to this as an ongoing process. Integral is not a noun in this case, it's a verb. We're always mm. in this process of integrating, right? And mm. I think that the more we can sort of commit ourselves from moment to moment to, you know, enacting this integral vision um, you know, within our own sphere of influence in ways that make sense to us in ways that we can communicate to others. Um, the more you do that, the more you're going to naturally grow into these stages and, and mature, um, as you go. Don't, you know, I, I think that it's, it's really easy for us to kind of like, I want to learn some of the features and landmarks of these higher stages so I can emulate them. That's good too. Fake it till you make it. I mean, that's a, that, that's a, it's a really, really great way to sort of model your own growth and development, but don't get so hung up on whatever your conception is of mm. what that stage will ultimately look like once you've yeah. arrived. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Well, dude, this has been a lot of fun. Um, a couple yeah, closing really comments. So yeah. this video is going to be available for free. I'm hoping that this video is useful to everyone who watches it in terms of, you know, learning some of the qualities of these stages of development for the first time. So if you liked this video, once we have it published, wherever it's going to end up published, hopefully YouTube lets us have yeah. it there. Um, but otherwise, it'll be on Integral Life. It'll be on Facebook. It'll be on Vimeo, et cetera. Um, share this video with someone who you think uh, will benefit from it. Um, I think I'm hoping that this is going to be a really, really great way to sort of help get the Integral message out there by giving such a, again, accessible and um, you know, an on-ramp to this stuff using reference points that we all know yeah. about. Yeah. Um, number two, please, please, please. If you want to see Ken Wilbur himself talking about many of these film clips and going in depth into each of these stages of development mm. in a way that only Ken Wilbur can, Growing Up a Guided Tour is the name of the piece. It's on integrallife.com. Please go check it out. And finally, if you want to do some real in-depth work with this material, with these stages of development, this actually gets back to Greg's question just a moment. If you really want to explore this stuff and you really want to um, you know, have an opportunity to find where your addictions, your allergies, your various shadows, um, and how they've been kind of dammed up in each of these stages in your own being, please consider checking out the full spectrum mindfulness master course on integral life. This is one of Ken Wilber's um, just leading teachings. This is like his flagship teaching. And he takes you on this process again, from crimson all the way up to turquoise, sort of uh, allowing you to run a bit of a, a self-diagnostic is, is kind of how I like to think about it. Identify some of these challenges and, you know, some of the strengths that come from each of these, of these levels. Um, and then to reintegrate them. And what's cool about the Full Spectrum Mindfulness course is we have a number of uh, expansion courses that we've packed on there for free. Uh, so we also have uh, Full Body Mindfulness, which is about um, exercise and nourishment and things like that. We have uh, Full Spectrum uh, Power, right? Which is really getting into uh, some of the uh, challenges and wisdoms coming from the red stage of development. 
uh, we're going to be doing full spectrum love. Um, we actually have a full spectrum sexuality teaching in there. Um, so it's a really, really super, super powerful uh, teaching. And I highly encourage all of you guys to check it out. Nice. Yeah. Anything else to say, Ryan? No, it's super fun. I'm, I'm really excited about uh, uh, doing more exploration of integral through through media and art. And uh, so, yeah, I'm super excited to do it. I, I, I feel like this will be a new kind of theme for us to explore this year that opens up a whole new new way to talk about all this. Totally. Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah and let's put our heads together and, and, yeah. and think of what the next version of this is going to look yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for setting, you set a nice high bar for us. So this is great. Well, and thank you, Ryan. I mean, I, I loved doing this with you. Your comments yeah. have been um, awesome. And uh, I'm always. just so glad we had an opportunity to do this together. Man. Yeah. Thanks for everybody for joining us. It's been, yeah. been fun. Yep. It's been a blast. Thank you, everyone. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll catch you next month for the next episode of Inhabit. All right. See you all. Bye, guys. dragon fuck face first take a big step back and literally fuck your own face to know life in every breath every cup of tea every life we take the way of the warrior life in every breath that is push it out Although we're not at war, we must always act as though we are at war. What are you doing? Tip the spear. Just wondering. Best be sure. Who's the best? In case some of you wonder who the best is, they're up here on this plaque on the wall. The best driver in his reel from each class has his name on it. And they have the option to come back here to be Top Gun instructors. You think your name's gonna be on that plaque? Yes, sir. That's pretty arrogant, considering the company you're in. Yes, sir. I like that in the pilot. I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And I'm not even a writer. I was remembering even the words of the original sports agent, my mentor, the late, great Dickie Fox, who said, The key to this business is personal relationships. Suddenly, it was all pretty clear. The answer was fewer clients, less money, more attention, caring for them, caring for ourselves and the games too, just starting our lives, really. Hey, I'll be the first to admit it. What I was writing was somewhat touchy-feely. I didn't care. I had lost the ability to bullshit. It was the me I always wanted to be. Heads up! Another one, and another one, and another one.
why you all in my ear? Talking a whole bunch of shit that I ain't trying to hear. Get rid of 